0: I heard about a little kindergarten class, they were taking a tour of the police station, the policeman was showing them around, and they came to some pictures on the wall of the ten most wanted. And a little kindergarten girl spoke up and said to the policeman, are those mean people? And the policeman said, yeah honey, they sure are, and we're going to catch them too. She said, "Uh, why didn't you keep them the day you took their picture? Good question, good question. I heard about a man that met the meanest woman of the world. Do you know any mean women? This guy met the meanest woman of the world, went to see a doctor, walked into the doctor's office, walked up to the desk and said to the woman behind the desk, Ma'am, I'm here to see the doctor. And this woman with a frown on her face and bitterness in her voice said, Go down the hall, find the third door on the left, take all your clothes off. He said, Excuse me. Ma'am, you don't understand. I have a little spot on my hand, and the doctor's going to be looking at this spot. And this woman, a little bit louder, said, Did you hear me? I said, Go down the hall, find the third door on the left, take all your clothes off. Scare the daylight out of the guy, you know. Well, he went down the hall, he found the third door on the left. And as he entered the room, there was a little fellow, a little guy, over in the corner, already down to his boxers, you know. And the guy that walked in slammed the door and said, My, 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 I've just met the meanest woman in the world. And the little fellow over in the corner said, Yeah, tell me about it. He said, I'm just the guy from UPS. So there are some mean people out there, but you're not mean people. You're nice people. I appreciate that. I appreciate you for being so nice. I tell you who I am. Wes has given some sweet intros, but I tell you who I am. I'm a struggling sinner. I'm a nobody who's trying to tell everybody about the somebody who can save anybody. And what I want to do for a few minutes tonight, I want to take you back to a story in the Bible. A story about a nobody who wanted to tell everybody about the somebody who can save anybody. Anybody, I'm glad you're here. I want you to open your Bibles, please, to Mark chapter 5. Sunday night, we went to the Gospel of Mark to talk about the Gospel, the Gospel of Jesus. And tonight, we're going to back up a few chapters to talk about a story in Mark chapter 5. It's the story of the demon-possessed man. Maybe you remember the story, the guy's filled with evil spirits. Jesus comes along, cleanses this guy, and I love what Jesus says to him. In verse 19, Mark 5, verse 19, Jesus says to this demon-possessed man who's no longer demon-possessed, go home to your friends. Maybe your Bible says go to your family. This is a great verse for family and friends day. We have those in churches of Christ. Jesus said go home to your friends, go to your family, and tell them how great things the Lord has done for you and has done. He has had compassion on you. Brothers and sisters, how do you feel about witnessing? How do you feel about personal testimonies? Uh, Suppose I got up here and I said, I'll tell you what let's do. Let's let's not have a sermon tonight. I mean, you've heard lots and lots of sermons. Uh, Let's just uh, share a few personal testimonies. Uh, We'll start up here at the uh, front. David, we'll start with you. And why don't you get up and why don't you tell us what the Lord has done for you? You say, Keith witnessing, personal testimonies. We don't do that in the church, not in the church of Christ. And yet that's exactly what Jesus tells this guy to do in Mark chapter 5 and verse 19. Go back to the verse. He says to this demon-possessed man who's cleansed, he's clean. He says, sir, go home to your family, go to your friends and tell them, how great things the Lord has done for you and how He has had compassion on you. You know what Jesus is saying? Go tell what the Lord has done for you. David, go tell what the Lord has done for you. Don, go tell what the Lord has done for you. Wesley, go tell what the Lord has done for you. Adam, go tell what the Lord has done for you. And see, that's what evangelism is all about. That's what witnessing is all about. That's what Mark 16, 15 is all about, going to all the world and preach the gospel. You know what that means? i tell you what it means. It means you go tell what the Lord has done for you. I want you to go back in your mind about 2,000 years. Go back to the story of Mark chapter 5. And I want you to see Jesus and the disciples as they get into that old wooden boat and they sail across the Sea of Galilee. You ever been to the Sea of Galilee? I've been there three times. In fact, about a year year ago, I was on the Sea of Galilee. It's a beautiful body of water there in the land of Israel, about 13 miles long, about 8 miles across. And I want you to see Jesus and the disciples as they get into that old boat and they sail across the Sea of Galilee. They come to the country of the Gadarenes or the Gerasenes. And as they get out of the boat, a man from the tombs comes out to meet them. So we know that they landed at a graveyard. I want you to see Peter, Andrew, James, and John as they step out of this boat and they look across the cemetery and somebody says, a cemetery, a graveyard, what are we doing here? Well, I don't know. This is where Jesus told us to dock the boat. And as they get out of the boat, a man from the tombs comes out to meet them. We don't know his name. Well, he says his name is Legion, but that's really the evil spirit speaking through this guy. I like to call him Crazy Harry. Now, if your name is Harry... I'm not talking about you, okay? I'm talking about the demon-possessed man of Mark chapter 5. I like to call him crazy. Oh, crazy Harry comes out to meet the disciples. I want you to see this guy. There are sores all over his body. You know why the sores are there? He had cut himself night and day with stones, with rocks. Can you imagine taking a rock, slashing your skin? Maybe blood and infection oozing out those sores. The irons, the chains on his arms and his legs have been broken. Maybe, I don't know, maybe bits of chain still connected to his body. Mart says that nobody could bind him. Why do you think they wanted to bind this guy? Mart says that nobody could tie up, oh crazy Harry. Why do you think they wanted to tie up this guy? Think about it. Every time that they had a funeral at the cemetery, somebody would have to go out there and bind him. They didn't want no crazy Harry. The demon-possessed man jumping over grandma's casket, interrupting the funeral. So somebody would have to go out there and tie him up. And Mark says that nobody could do that. Luke, the gospel writer Luke, adds a very interesting fact. Luke says that the man wore no clothes. He wore no clothes. Now, you can call it, uh, you can call it streaking if you want to, okay? Sir, what are you doing? I'm streaking. Call it what you want to call it. He's in his birthday suit. What do you think his hair looked like? Huh? Do you think he was short? Do you think he'd, he looked like he'd just been to great clips or sports clips? What do you think this guy smelled like? David, what's your favorite cologne? You got a favorite cologne? Polo. Do you think this guy smelled like polo? Ralph Lauren? Oh, Spice, what do you think this demon-possessed man sounded like? I've never heard a demon-possessed man, have you? Some of you are sitting there thinking, yeah, I've heard you preach. Well, I've never heard a demon-possessed man, but I can imagine the screeching and the groaning and the weeping and the wailing coming forth from this man's lips. And Jesus just stands there. The man runs out and with a loud voice he says, What do you want from me, most high God? What's your name, sir? My name is Legion, for we are many. And Jesus does the incredible. He takes those many evil spirits and he throws them into a group of pigs. Do you remember how many pigs there were? You've read the story? About 2,000 pigs feeding on the hill and down the hill that went into the sea. I would have loved to have been there. Wouldn't you love to have seen this scene? What do, you th- what do you think the pig farmers were thinking? The swine herders, the people out watching the pigs. By the way, you, you don't get the most intelligent people in the world to watch pigs. If you're a pig farmer, I'm not trying to insult you. I'm not trying to put you down. I, I'm saying that these guys that were out watching the pigs, uh, they did not own the business. They were just the common folks, Oh, Henry and George. And all day long, Henry and George would stand there and watch the, watch the pigs. And one moment, everything was fine. I mean, the pigs were rooting and wallowing and feeding and whatever else pigs do. And the next moment, every single pig gets his own private demon, bingo, just like that. And 10 seconds later, there's a stampede down the hill and Oh Henry and George, the pig farmers, are flipping a shackle to see who's going to go tell the boss. I would have loved to heard that conversation. Uh, sir, we don't know what happened. We were just out there watching those pigs and one moment everything was fine and the next moment, <laughs> down the hill they went into the sea and yes, sir, they're dead, all of them. Oh, Henry tried to catch one by the tail but he got away and the Bible says the whole city goes out to see them. I don't blame them, do you? They didn't have TV. They didn't have computer. Hey, Martha, Martha, grab the kids. 2,000 pigs are in the lake. Let's go. And when they get out there, not only do they see the pig bodies floating in the lake, they see oh, crazy Harry. And oh, crazy Harry, the demon-possessed man is no longer demon-possessed. He's sitting there. He's wearing clothes. He's in his right mind. And and they look at this guy and they think, Whoa, look what this guy Jesus did to him. And they look at the pigs in the lake and they think, "Wow! look what this guy Jesus did to them. And they're frightened. They're scared. And so they beg Jesus to leave the coast. Well, as Jesus and the disciples are getting into that boat, getting ready to leave, something amazing happens. Do you remember what happens? He, he, he tries to go with them. The demon-possessed man who's been cleansed tries to go with them. You know, I can see Matthew, uh, the numbers guy, the tax collector, putting out his little calculator and saying, let's say now, one Jesus, uh, 12 disciples, that's 13. 13. Wait a minute, boys. We have a problem. You know the problem? There are 14 people in the boat. Oh, crazy Harry had gotten in that boat. And he's saying, Lord, let me go with you. I'll, I, I'll do whatever you want But I'll sell your books. I'll sell your CDs. I'll set up the tents. Let me go with you, sir. And Jesus says, hey, you can't go with me. I want you to go back home. Go to your family. Go to your friends and tell them how great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you, sir. Go tell what the Lord has done for you. And you know something? That's exactly what he does. Look down to verse 20, Mark 5 and verse 20. He departed and he began to publish in Decapolis. That is not one city, folks. That's ten cities. Decapolis. He departed and he began to publish in Decapolis how great things Jesus had done for him, and all men did marvel. And, brothers and sisters, do you see what I see? What's he doing? He's out teaching. He's out preaching. He's out evangelizing. He's out witnessing. He's out saying, hey, I want to tell you what Jesus has done for me. Now, you talk about the most unlikely candidate for a preacher. When Peter, Andrew, James, and John get out of that boat and they look across the cemetery and they see this guy coming out in his birthday suit, hair flowing in the wind, smelling like who knows what, sounded like who knows what, they don't go up to this guy and say, <coughs> excuse me, sir, you ought to become a preacher. You've got what it takes. They don't encourage him to be a preacher. They don't go up to him and say, man, you ought to go down here to Dasher, Georgia. You ought to enroll in, in the Georgia Bible College. You ought to become a preacher. You've got... They, they don't encourage this guy to become a preacher. But that's exactly what he became. He became a preacher. He became a soul winner. He became a witness. He's out saying, hey, let me tell you how Jesus has changed my life. Question. What has the Lord done for you? Has Jesus done anything for you? Uh, James 1.17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. 1 Timothy 6, 17, God has given us richly all things to enjoy. So my, my brother, my sister, what has Jesus done for you? And then I would follow that question by asking this question. Have you told anybody lately? Maybe on a Tuesday night, a Thursday afternoon, a Saturday morning. Have you told anybody what the Lord has done for you? Many years ago, in a ghetto in Chicago, Illinois, a little boy was born. He was born handicapped, severely handicapped, could not walk. And every day, as his mother went off to work, she would just leave her son on the floor of this little two room apartment. A neighbor would check in on him every once in a while, but she would just put him there on the floor and go off to work. In time, the little fellow, the little boy, handicapped boy, taught himself how to crawl. He would move himself with his arms, could not move his legs, but he would pull himself with his arms from room to room. And even in time, he taught himself how to read. And one day, he read in the local newspaper of a doctor, a physician, who had come from a very far country uh, to perform complicated and difficult surgery on a Rich man's son, he read the article very carefully. And When his mother came in that afternoon, this little boy shared the article with her. He said, Mama, Mama, read this. This sounds like exactly what's wrong with me. And as you can imagine, the mother read the article with great interest. Well, the next day, instead of getting ready to go to work, she dressed as best she could. And she caught a bus to downtown Chicago to find the office of this foreign doctor about whom she had read in the paper. She walked inside, she went up to the desk and she said to the woman behind the desk, ma'am, I read about that doctor in the paper, I'm here to see the doctor. And the woman said, I'm sorry, he's not taking any other patients. He's here in the United States for that one special case. And this mother said, you don't understand, I think my son has the same problem as that other kid. I've got to see the doctor. And the woman said, there's no way you can see the doctor. She didn't know what to do. She turned to leave. But in desperation, she ran past that desk. She ran down the hall, and as coincidence, maybe Providence would have it, she ran into the office where this foreign doctor was. She fell down on her knees. She crawled across the carpet. She got over to this doctor. She grabbed him around the legs, and she began to beg, Sir, sir, you've got to do something. Do something for my son. Well, as you can imagine, the doctor was shocked, surprised, didn't know what to say. Uh, He said, Ma'am, stand up. He lifted her up. He dried her tears. He said to this lady, "Uh, would you tell me your story? Tell me what's wrong. And this mother began to explain in the most minute detail what was wrong with her boy. Uh, She explained as best she could what was wrong with him, how earnestly, desperately she wanted surgery performed on her son as well. The doctor said, ma'am, do you have insurance? Oh, no. "Uh, Do you have any money? Not a dime. He thought about it. Then he said, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll examine your boy and if he needs my surgery, I'll do it free of charge. You know any doctors like that in Valdosta or Albany, Atlanta? He said, I'll examine your son, and if he needs my services, I'll give them. I'll even go farther than that. I'll try to find a hospital that will dismiss all charges. A few weeks later, surgery was done with this kid, very successful surgery. And a few days after the surgery, the mother came to see This little boy, she daily did. When she walked in this day, he had a big old smile on his face, grinning from ear to ear. He said, Mama, Mama, stand over there by the window. I have a surprise for you. And the mother walked over to the window, put her arms behind her back, looked out. And her son, he had never done it before, but he slid out of bed. He slid out of bed and he limped on his own power across the room. He got over to his mother and he threw his arms around her waist. And they hugged and they cried, tears of joy, tears of happiness, tears of gratitude. A few days later, this doctor came to see the kid for the final time. He walked in. He said, hey, I'm sending you home with some therapy. You're going to be okay. I just want you to know how much joy you've been in my life. You've been a blessing to me. And the doctor said, is there anything else we can do for you, anything other than what we've done? And the little kid began to cry. He began to cry. And he reached up and he grabbed the doctor around the neck and he pulled the doctor's head down to his own head. And there they were face to face, jaw to jaw, cheek to cheek. And the little boy said, Mr. to the doctor, sir, as long as there's a tongue wagging in my head, there ain't nobody that's ever going to forget what you have done for me. Nobody, sir. Nobody. And you know, brothers and sisters, if Jesus Christ, the great doctor, the great physician, chant uh, chance sometimes we sing the song, the great physician now is near the sympathizing Jesus. Well, if Jesus Christ, the great doctor, the great physician, has healed our souls, I mean, if you're saved and going to heaven, there ain't nobody, nobody, as long as you have a tongue wagging in your head, there ain't a soul that ever should forget how good God has been to you. So how do you feel about personal testimonies? How do you feel about witnessing, evangelism, taking the word to this lost and dying world? Well, before I close this lesson, what I want to do, I want to stand up here and give you a personal testimony. I want to tell you what the Lord has done for me. And I don't know, maybe my story could even be your story. I want you to leave Mark chapter 5 and look over to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4, it comes in the middle part of God's New Testament. And I just want to stand up here and tell you what Jesus has done for me. Ephesians chapter 4, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. It comes right after Galatians, right before Philippians. Ephesians chapter 4, look to verse 4, Ephesians 4 verse 4. Paul said there is one body. Everybody look up here, folks. Everybody look. How many bodies do you see standing before you? Be nice, be nice, okay? I've eaten a lot this week, but only one body, right? Sometimes the word body is used in the Bible in reference to the physical body. Right here in this same book, Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 28, Paul said, so ought men to love their wives as they love their own bodies. I'm to love Sandra just like I love this body. And there the word bodies or the word body is used in reference to the physical body. That's not what Paul is saying in Ephesians 4 verse 4. When Paul said there is one body, he's not talking about a physical body. He's talking about a spiritual body. You say a spiritual body? What's the spiritual body? No doubt about that. Because right here in this same book, Ephesians chapter 1, 22 and 23, Paul said that God had put all things under Jesus' feet, given Him, Jesus, to be the head of all things to the church, to the church which is His body. So when Scripture says in Ephesians 4 verse 4, there's one body, you know what Paul is saying? He's simply saying there's one church. Don't be embarrassed about that. Don't be ashamed of that. God has a family. We call that family the church. There's one body, and he goes on to say, one spirit. One spirit, yes, that's the Holy Spirit that God gives to all people that obey Him, Acts five thirty two. There's one body, one spirit, even as you're called in one hope. You say, Brother Keith, I hope to go to heaven. So do I. That's our hope. It's the hope of eternal life, Titus 1 and verse 2. He goes on to say, there's one Lord. It has to be Jesus, one Lord has to be Jesus. Why call you me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say? Luke 6, 46, one Lord, one faith. Last night we talked about faith. This message is a message of faith to which we respond in faith. Without faith, as I mentioned last night, it's impossible to please God. So there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. You say one baptism, yes. That's immersion in water for the forgiveness of sins, Acts two thirty eight. Now, I've said all of that to get us down to verse 6. Ephesians 4, verse 6. Don't miss it. One God and Father of all, who's above all, through all, and in you all. You say, Keith, give us a personal testimony. What has Jesus done for you? i tell you what Jesus has done for me. Number one, He's given me a Father. A Father. How many, uh, how many baptized believers do we have in this audience tonight? If you believe in Christ and you've been baptized, be proud of it. Let me see your hand, please. I have some great news for you. You have a good father. You have a good father. You say, Keith, my father abused me when I was a kid. I'm not talking about your daddy. You say, my daddy ran off with another woman, left mom to struggle with us. I'm not talking about your father. I'm talking about your father. If you're a baptized believer, you have a good father. And may I tell you how good your father is. God is so good. When this thought occurred to me many, many years ago, it literally, I tell you folks, it literally changed my life. It changed my life. And it's a very simple thought. But the thought that changed my life is this My Father, our Father, is so good, He wants me to go to heaven even more than I want myself to go to heaven. He wants you to be saved even more than you want yourself to be saved. Do you want to be saved? Do you want to go to heaven? You just missed a wonderful time to say amen. So I'll give you another shot. You want to go to heaven? Amen? You say, go to heaven? Keith, more than life. Sure, I want to go to heaven. See, that's a great desire. But no matter how strong your desire is to go to heaven, no matter how fired up you become, you can get out here and knock on doors in the name of Jesus. You can read and study your Bible every day. You can get down on your knees and pray 17 times a day. You can attend every church service there is to attend, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. But I'm telling you, folks, no matter how strong your desire is to be saved, no matter how fired up you become, there's a God in heaven who loves you and He wants you to be saved even more than you want yourself to be saved. And that's the goodness of God and that's gospel. You have a sign out front, gospel meeting. That's good news preaching the goodness of God. Let me ask the daddies of this audience, daddies, you want your own children to go to heaven? Man, I have have three children. I have Pete, I have two daughters, I have six grandbabies. You think I, as a father, as a grandfather, you think I want my own children to be saved more than life? Sure, I want my kids to be saved. But if I want that for my kids, don't you know that the Heavenly Father wants that for His kids? See, God is not against you. He's really not. He's for you. And if God be for us, who can be against us? Romans 8. And verse 31, you say, Keith, what has Jesus done for you? i tell you what Jesus has done for me. Number one, He's given me a father. Number two, He's given me a family. A family. Now, I'm not talking about my wife that I've been married to for 43 years. I'm not talking about my three children. I'm not talking about my 88-year-old mama. I'm not talking about my six grandchildren. I'm not talking about my family. I'm talking about my family. You're in Ephesians 4, look back to chapter 3. Ephesians 3, look to verse 14. For this cause I bow my knees. And boy, I wish that I had the time to talk about that. You ever get down on your knees to pray? There was a time I thought, you know, body position in prayer is really not important. It doesn't matter if you stand up to pray. It doesn't matter if you uh, kneel down and pray. And I thought, you know, it really doesn't matter about the body position. I, I, I believed that until I started reading my Bible. And when I started reading my Bible, I tell you what I find I find a lot of people who are down on their knees praying. Don't ever be ashamed to get down on your knees to pray. Paul said, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole, don't miss it, the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Keith, what has Jesus done for you? My testimony? He's not only given me a father, He's given me a family. He's given me my brothers and sisters in Christ. And I'll bear my soul with you tonight, Father, uh, folks. I I, I really believe, I I really believe the greatest people on earth are members of the family of God. I believe that with all of my heart. I'll just say it like this. I'm not, not embarrassed to say this. I believe that the greatest people in the world are members of churches of Christ. Romans 16, 16, the churches of Christ salute you. And tonight, I want to salute the churches of Christ. I mean, everywhere I go, I have people that are loving me, encouraging me, taking me out to eat, fellowshipping with me, blessing my life. What has Jesus done for me? He's given me you. The church of the living God. My brothers and sisters, God is our Father. Jesus is our brother. The blessed Holy Spirit is our God. The devil is no relation. We are new creations. We're members of the family of the sky. Let me show you something else Jesus has done for me. You're in Ephesians 3. Look back to chapter 1. Chapter 1. Don't miss verse 7. Ephesians 1 and verse 7. In whom? He's talking about Jesus. Jesus. In Jesus, we have redemption. What does that mean? We've been bought with a price. You talk about the price is right. I mentioned the story on Sunday morning. Folks, the price is right. What is the price? His blood. Jesus paid the price. He gave His blood. What are you talking about, Paul? He says, let me tell you what I'm talking about. The, don't miss it, forgiveness of sins. What has Jesus done for you? he's given me forgiveness now i want to show you literally what forgiveness means david would you give me a song book chance you got a song book song book thank you forgiveness everybody watch forgiveness here's forgiveness literally it means this forgiveness it's a release it's a letting go if you forgive somebody you turn it loose and God, through the blood of His Son Jesus, has taken my sins and let go. And I would say to you, if you're not a Christian, if you did not raise your hand a few minutes ago, I would say to you what the Apostle Peter said on the day of Pentecost. You need to change. You need to repent. That's the hard thing about becoming a Christian. You've got to turn around, repent, and be baptized. Be immersed in water. Who? Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ. Why? He tells us, Acts 2.38, for the letting go, for the, for the forgiveness of sins. You say, Brother Keith, I- I'm a baptized believer. Oh, you're a baptized believer? I would say to you what John said in 1 John 1 and verse 9. If we confess our sins... When was the last time you confessed to anybody? If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to let go. What has Jesus done for you? I'll tell you what Jesus has done for me. My personal testimony. He's given me a father. He's given me a family. He's given me forgiveness and he's also given me a future. A future. You're in Ephesians 1, look, look to chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. He's talking about grace. G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. If I die and go to heaven, I'm going to die and go to heaven not because I've been so good to Jesus. It's because Jesus has been so good to me. And that's really what Paul is talking about in in Ephesians chapter 2. The grace, the amazing grace of God. I love what he says in verse 7. In the context of grace, he says that in the ages to come. That's not the past. That's not the present. That's the future, that in the ages to come, He might show the exceeding riches of His grace and His kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. You know, you can take away my coat. You can take away my my car. uh, You can take away my house. uh, You can take away my money. You can take away my wife and even my life. But you can't take away my future. You can't. It is secured in heaven by His grace. I have a future. I love the story about the guy that wanted to be buried with a fork in his hand. The guy I'm talking about was terminally ill, knew he was going to die. Just had a few weeks to live. So he called his preacher and the preacher came. He wanted to talk to the preacher about the funeral. The preacher came over. They talked about the songs that he wanted sung and the scriptures he wanted read the prayers, everybody to participate in the funeral. And after about 20 minutes, the preacher got up to leave and this sick guy said to the preacher, sir, there's one other thing. The preacher stopped in his tracks and said, sure. What is it? And the guy said, I want to be buried with a fork in my right hand. And the preacher said, excuse me. He said, I want to be buried with a fork in my right hand. A uh, fork, the preacher asked. He said, yeah, let me explain. He said, you know, in all the years of attending attended church, all the church dinners, and luncheons, and banquets, and socials. After the delicious meal, somebody would usually walk up to me and say, Billy, Billy, keep your fork. And Billy smiled and said, Preacher, that was a sign to me that something better was coming. The dessert was coming. Oh, I love the dessert. The strawberry shortcake the banana pudding, the deep dish, apple pie. Billy said, oh, preacher, I love the dessert. And he said, I want to be buried with a fork in my right hand. And when people come to my visitation at the funeral, and they look into the casket, and they see me with a fork, and they start asking questions like, a, a, fork? A, a, a fork? What's Billy doing with a fork? Billy said, preacher, I want you to get up at my funeral and tell the audience... There's something better that's coming. And I want to tell you, brothers and sisters, there's something better that's coming. I, I like your city. I, I like Valdosta. I've been able to look around. You've got a lot of stuff here, a lot of beautiful, beautiful things. But I'm telling you, Valdosta is not home. It's not home. I know that some of you were born here and you grew up here, but Valdosta is not home. I love Hendersonville, Tennessee. I've lived there for 30 years, just outside of Nashville, the home of Johnny Cash. I live about three miles from where Cash lived. I live about a mile from where one of the Oak Ridge boys live. I love Hendersonville, Tennessee. But I'm telling you, Hendersonville is not home. Tennessee's not home and Georgia's not home. Hendersonville is not home. Valdosta is not home. Our home is in heaven. You've listened well. And we're about ready to see the invitation song. But I have four questions. Please answer them seriously sincerely, I'm asking you, just a little Bible study between me and you, and here's question number one. Do you have a father? I'm asking you, do you have a father? Is God your father? Can you honestly close your eyes and bow your head and say, Abba, Father? The Bible teaches we're all the children of God by faith. We talked about that last night. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ, that's faith in action. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ, you have put on Christ. Have you been baptized into Christ? We're all the children of God by faith. Galatians 3 26. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ, you've put on Christ. Have you put on Christ? Is God your Father? That's question number one. Question number two is, do you have a family? I'm not asking, are you married? I'm not asking, tell me about your children. I'm asking, do you have a family, a church family? Can you point to a group of believers and say, boy, they're my brothers and sisters, they're my family. That's where I fit in, that's where I belong. Are you a part of the church? Here's question number three. Do you have forgiveness? I'm asking you. A little Bible study between me and you. Do you have forgiveness? Are you forgiven? Do you feel forgiven? Has God, through the blood of His Son, taken your sins and let go? I don't know, maybe the most important question is the question of before. You have a future? I mean, if you were to die right now, would you go to heaven? Some time ago, I was teaching a Bible class. had 85 students in this Bible class, most of whom members of Churches of Christ. And I asked that fourth question like this. I said, if if you were to die, or if Jesus were to come today, would you go to A, heaven? B, hell? C, I do not know. Or D, neither heaven or hell? The number one answer in that Bible class. I don't know. Three in that Bible class said neither heaven or hell. If I were to die, I wouldn't go to heaven. Wouldn't go to... Frankly, I don't understand that answer, but three of them said neither heaven or hell. Eleven in that Bible class were open and honest. They said, uh, uh, we're lost. We're, we're hell bound. Eleven said, hell. Thirty-one said, I'm going to heaven. I, I'm, I'm, I'm on my way to heaven. But forty, four zero, 40 people in that Bible class of 85 students said, I'm not sure. Well, I want to close tonight by asking you the very same question. If you were to die tonight, or if Jesus were to come in the next 60 minutes, would you go to A, heaven, B, hell, C, I do not know, or D, neither heaven or hell? I'm not a mind reader. I don't know people's hearts. I never try to be a judge. But let me tell you what I suspect some of you are thinking right now. I'm not sure. I don't know. And maybe that's the devil that's placed those doubts in your heart. Or maybe you've lived in a way that you have a reason to doubt. And we don't want you to leave tonight with doubts. We don't want you to leave tonight distressed, discouraged. We want you to leave tonight with hope. There have been public responses at every single service. What's going to happen tonight? Does anybody need to be prayed for? Does anybody need to become a Christian? When we stand and sing the invitation song, you're going to be hearing two voices. First of all, you're going to be hearing the voice of God, and God through Scripture is going to be saying, "Come, come to me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. Please come." But I'm convinced when we sing invitation songs in churches of Christ, we also, from time to time, hear another voice, and it's not the voice of God; it's the voice of the opposition, the voice of Satan. And you know what Satan's going to be saying to you? God's right. You need to come. Oh, you, you do need to become a Christian. As a Christian, you need to get on track again. But Satan is saying to some of us, what's the hurry? What's the hurry? Maybe tomorrow night. Maybe, maybe Sunday. See, God is going to be saying, I love you. Please come. Would you please come? And Satan's going to be saying, you know, God is right. You do need to respond what's the hurry? You have plenty of time. Maybe you do. Maybe you don't. But I'm telling you, folks, Satan doesn't mind that some of you are thinking about walking down a church aisle tonight. That doesn't bother Satan, that some of you are thinking about it. Because as long as you stand and think about it, oh, Satan says, (laughs) got you right where I want you. Quit thinking about doing what's right and just do it. Has the Lord done anything for you? Maybe you'd like to express that tonight. Maybe you need prayer. Maybe you need to become a Christian. Let Jesus do something for you. Who's going to lead the way? I'm excited about singing the invitation song. Chance, let's stand and sing.